the names of God. Well, we mentioned last time we were together that uh, today would be the last in our study series that we have given our attention to here over the last many months. And the series is called God Also Known As. If you would grab that little note page out of your bulletin if you haven't already done that. And if you haven't been with us, week after week we have been zeroing in on some of the many names that God has taken for himself in Scripture and then given to us so that we might know him better. Every name is kind of like a window into some aspect of his person that he wants us to know. Some of the windows are really big, uh, kind of like big picture windows that reveal some, something about God on a grand scale. And then other of his names are kind of, they're smaller windows, but they let us see more of him in a kind of a focused or a concentrated way. But whether the, the window has been big or whether it has been small, each name uh, has been given to us by God so that we can call upon those names when life in a fallen world takes us into every unimaginable circumstance. And as we've noted uh, from the very beginning of this series and even included it as a subtitle there on your note page, many of the names that God shares with us in Scripture, he shares for the first time when either people or even a nation might be going through a really difficult situation. And he'll give uh, his name, a new name about himself for life's really tough stuff. And and kind of in keeping with that thought, if you just flip your little note page over, there is a potent verse out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 10. It reads like this, the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is a what? It is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. And really that's what we've been doing. We've been learning these names of God so that we can run into them and find safety when life just dishes out its stuff. And we have looked at, up to this point, 11 incredible names together. And you see them, along with their meaning as we've explored them over these past many weeks. We've looked at the name Elohim and Yahweh and Adonai, Yahweh Ra, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is my peace, Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh Jaira, Elkanah, Emmanuel, we explored that name at Christmas, Yahweh Sabaoth, and then last time it was Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who is my great healer. Every name our God would be saying to us, use it, call upon me by that name whenever you need to. I will respond because it's my name. And I respond to my name. Well, as you can tell by looking at your note page today, if you flip it back over today, we're not just looking at one more name and wrapping up our series. So we have a total of 12 names. We're going to take on five names this morning. And you're thinking, there is no way, Tim. Now, I know you too well. You barely get through one name in a week. How in the world are you going to get through five? And that was exactly Brandon's response. Uh, by the way, he said, no way, Tim. So my whole morning is committed to proving him wrong, although he's probably going to be right. So what was I thinking? Five names on one Sunday morning. Well, here's what I'm thinking. We are wrapping up the series because it's really time to do that and head off in some new directions that 
the Holy Spirit would have for us, but, but really not before we have a chance to just put a few more of the great names of God. And remember, there's dozens of these names, and we'll only have uh, 16 of them by the time we're done with our series. But, but just to put a few more of these uh, into our collection so that we will have them when we need them. And so it was important to me to set these five names before us as a kind of a wrap-up to our time. And obviously, we can't go into all these names to the depth that we have with each of the other 11, but that is okay. We'll venture into them enough so that you will know that the name exists, you will know uh, what the name means, and you will know that that name is really there for you to call upon, to, to cry out to God with that name. So five more names that God wants us to know by him. And what is the first one? El Elyon. I'll invite you to take your Bible if you brought it with you today. Raise your hand if you'd like to have a copy of the scriptures because we can uh, put one in your hands to share this moment. And, And I'll invite you to go with me in your Bible into the Old Testament and find the book of Daniel, for starters. Daniel chapter 3. And while you head there, I would like to introduce this name to you by reminding you about a moment that, that gripped the attention of the entire world back in 2010. On August the 5th of that year, 33 miners in Chile were trapped 2,300 feet below ground in a, in a copper and gold mine near a small little town called uh, Copiapo. And uh, a massive cave-in of that tunnel system uh, made it impossible to dig any survivors out if there were any. Uh, it was a massive cave-in, and, and nobody knew if there were survivors. You remember the story from back in that time? Yeah. For more than two weeks, rescuers heard not a single sound uh, to indicate that anyone was alive. By the time that uh, two weeks had rolled around, the experts in such things gave these miners, if there were any that were alive, gave them about a 2% chance of getting out of that mine. 2% chance of surviving. Two chances in 100. That's not very good odds, is it? But that did not stop the rescuers on the surface from drilling test holes uh, half a mile down into the ground into all the places that they thought that miners might have run to and found some sanctuary when this, the, the tunnels were caving in. Well, it was on day 17 that a drill bit broke into a tunnel cavity, and when they extracted the bit, it had a note taped onto it. There were men alive in that, in that mine. They enlarged the hole enough to send down food and water and medical supplies, and then eventually, after enlarging the hole even more to about a diameter of two feet, they were able to send down a a capsule called the Phoenix. And they sent that down on a cable, and they extracted all 33 men out of the mine one by one. Those men were as good as dead. The odds were hugely stacked against them, but there were those who never gave up. They defied the odds, and they saved their mining friends. You know, you don't have to be trapped a half mile underground to find yourself in a hopeless situation, do you? Where the odds are so stacked against you that you are sure that there is no way out of this one. And maybe uh, you're in, in just such a place this morning. You feel like the odds are, well, they're, they're 2%. 
two chances in a hundred. Maybe you feel like one in a hundred. Maybe, maybe there's no chance at all. Or maybe you know someone who's in just such a place. It's not you, but it's somebody that you know. The name El Elyon is perfectly suited for just those kinds of times when the odds are totally stacked against you. This compound name means God Most High. El Elyon. The El is the shortened form of the name Elohim, and we spent a whole morning talking about that name. And Elyon is the Hebrew word that means supreme or, or highest possible status, greatest in power, unmatched, beyond contesting because you will lose. <laughs> kind of that idea. But, if, but for you and me who are, practically need this name to work in our life, it means my God, Elohim, my God who is never concerned about the odds. El Elyon. Nothing that he can't do, no power greater than him, he is the odds crusher. I love that thought. That'd make a great t-shirt, wouldn't it? El Elyon, the odds crusher. Yeah? Just ask three young men in the Old Testament, Hebrew young men by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if God is the odds crusher. Yeah. Daniel chapter 3. Though the name El Elyon shows up in the Old New Testament maybe 20 times uh, across the board, the name really shines here in this moment. The scene is well known to most of us. Uh, there are three young men, Hebrew young men, who refuse to bow down to a giant golden image that the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, has erected, decreeing that all must worship this image. Well, and the penalty for not doing this, of course, is, is going to be death. And the three Hebrew young men refuse. In verse 15, the king calls them to stand before him, and he says this, because they've already refused to bow down. He says, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In other words, he could have said, and what are the odds of you escaping my clutches, right? Well, the odds would be zero. He's the most powerful ruler in the world, and they're standing right in front of him, surrounded by soldiers. They're not going anywhere. Verses 17 and 18 tell us that they... They are not going to cave in. They're not going to bow. They're not going to serve any but the true God, the one true God. The king is furious at this moment, and he, he orders the furnace in his rage to be heated up seven times hotter than normal. And then he has these guys thrown in, all three of them thrown in. In fact, the, those who throw them into the furnace are killed by the intense heat just in trying to get them in the furnace. But the flames do not kill them. In fact, they walk around in the flames of the furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king, can look in and see this, right? And they're walking around in the flames, and nothing burns except the, the ropes that bound their hand and their feet. And there's a whole great sermon right there. Not for today, but another, another time. We pick it up at verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of who? El Elyon, the odds crusher. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. You can just picture the scene, right? They're all huddled around. This is, this is incredible. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Yeah, El El Yon. Brothers and sisters, I would suggest to you that King Nebuchadnezzar really could have said, there is no other God who has the power to divide the odds like El Elyon. Yeah. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They stood their ground and, the, and, and a promotion came. Are the odds stacked against you today? Or someone that you know or love? Well, then this is a name tailor-made for you. El Elyon, the Most High God. And then a second name for us that God wants us to know. We need to rule. We need to move, don't we? What's the name? Elroy. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let Brandon be right here. I'm going to move. Elroy. That's right. Now, in order for us to share this name, we need to make our way back to the left. Leave Daniel. Go in your Bible all the way to the very first book, the book of Genesis, and locate chapter 16. And with this name, one of the cool things about this name is that it reminds us once again, as some of the other names have that we have looked at over these many weeks, is that our God, though he is supreme and though he is most high and though he is infinite and though he is all-powerful and, and crushes the odds, he is also a God, though he is so big, he is also incredibly personal showing tremendous tenderness and compassion toward even one single isolated individual who needs him. It's a wonderful name. The name means the God, El, El, who sees me. Roy, El Roy, the God who sees me. You know, church family, we live in a really interesting time in that you and I, can go virtually nowhere where people congregate or where they frequent where we are not going to be videotaped by surveillance cameras, right? I mean, that is true. Grocery stores, gas stations, malls, parks, parking lots. Uh, you're driving through Hemet in an intersection. Your picture's being taken, right, at that moment. Or, or you're going down the freeway. There's a camera watching you. Someone is watching. It is just part of our culture. And generally speaking, we do not like this, except when it catches the bad guy. Then we're all in favor of this surveillance thing, right? But, you know, if you are a follower of the one true God today, the, the thought of being watched 24-7, 365, should not be an unsettling thought because God is El Roy and he's always watching. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It's a verse that you 
may be familiar with. We'll put it up on the screen. How does it read? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's what? From his sight. (laughs) He's the epitome of surveillance. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Another way to say that, there are no secrets. You're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. He's watching all the time. We read this and we would hardly be surprised then to to know that one of God's great names would be El Roy, the God who sees me. But where this name unfolds from is is really, really cool. Um, The name of God was first, this name of God was first spoken by a young runaway slave girl by the name of Hagar when she was cared for by the Lord out in the middle of a desert. Hagar is in a really terrible situation. And as we noted before, this is where many of God's names come out of is, is these really tough moments in life. She's, uh, she's homeless. She's hungry. She's broke. She's pregnant. And she is utterly alone. That's a pretty tough place to be in. And if you recall her story, Hagar's own master, mistress really, her owner was Sarai, the wife of Abraham, Sarai could not have children of her own and was now past childbearing age. And even though God had promised to Abraham and Sarai that, that they would have a child together and that the child would emerge uh, to be the, the kind of the beginning point for a great nation, uh, she would be the one who would bear this heir, this child that would be, become a great nation, Israel. But that promise was given by God to Abraham and, and Sarah 10 years earlier. And, and then now there's been no son. It's been 10 years since the promise was first spoken. And Sarah, she grows discouraged. She grows impatient. She decides to solve this problem on her own. Not going to wait on God. She's convinced. She convinces her husband, Abraham, to take Hagar um, and, and through her produce a surrogate son for them. She's going to fix the problem. Hagar becomes pregnant, and almost immediately, Sarai, if you read the story, she becomes jealous and angry at Hagar. She feels threatened. The mistreatment of Hagar is so intense by Sarah that at one point, Hagar says, you know, I can't take this anymore, and she runs away. She's determined to go back to Egypt, which was her homeland, and And so it was a rash, impulsive, motivated by pain, dangerous decision. Smoking hot out in the desert. She doesn't have any water, no food, no one with her. She's alone. Mile after mile after mile, she runs into the desert. Increasingly, she becomes confused. Perhaps she will encounter a traveler, someone who will bail her out. We pick up the story at verse 7, chapter 16. The angel of the Lord, God, (laughs) God found Hagar. One person out in the middle of the desert, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Do you remember that name from last week? The wilderness of Shur? Yeah. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarah. She answered, 
Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So she called the name of the Lord. She called God who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. What's the name? Elroy. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. God saw Hagar in her misery, says verse 11. And he's not one to look down in cold indifference. He says, it says that he looked after me. He saw me, and then he cared for me. He ministered to me. Elroy, my God who sees me and supplies what I need. That's what this name means to you and me today. And Elroy sees you, brothers and sisters. He sees me. He sees us in all of our times of joy, in all of our times of, of desperation and, and, and heartache and fear. He sees us with such clarity and definition that Jesus will say on one occasion in Matthew chapter 10 that he actually sees us right down to the number of hairs that are on our head. He sees us. And we remember Hagar and more importantly, the wonderful name that she utters when we enter those inevitable, unavoidable, sometimes self-inflicted deserts that we find ourselves in. Elroy sees and he supplies. It's a great name. I want to tuck that one away. Better keep moving. The next name in our list is which name? El Shaddai. You know, if you've been a lover of Jesus and a follower of God for a while, this name is known to you, right? This, you, know, you know this name, though you might not instantly know what this name means. If you're an Amy Grant fan... And that dates you, by the way, too. But if you're an Amy Grant fan, back in the day, she sang a song that made this, this name very, very well known for a season. Well, we're in the right book to pick up the first time that this name is shared with us by God. In fact, it, it's shared with us as we leave Hagar in chapter 16, and we find it in the very first verse of chapter 17. And this is what we read. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. What's the name? El Shaddai. God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. El Shaddai. Another extremely powerful compound name Elohim joined to the word Shaddai now the ancient Hebrew rabbis believed that it's possible that this word Shaddai is itself a word a compound word made by combining together two other Hebrew words the the word say meaning who and the word da meaning enough you put those two words together and you get a word that means the one who is enough well over time that concept will morph into the one who is strong enough the one who is powerful enough and then it's a very short step to uh, El Shaddai 
the God Almighty, the one who is mightier than all. This name above all is, is, is a name of power and strength and competence that God can accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish. He is God Almighty, El Shaddai. God first introduces this name to Abram in the context of that situation that we just talked about with, with Hagar and her son Ishmael. There's a seemingly impossible to overcome reality in Abram and, and Sarai's life. Though God had already told them that they would be uh, the parents of a, of a great nation through which the whole world would ultimately be blessed, a hint of the coming of Jesus through the Jewish nation, Abram and Sarah, when they first hear this plan of God, they are 75 years old and 65 years old. That's the first time they hear about the plan. And, and they can't have any children. They wait 10 years for God to put his plan into gear, and now they're 85 and 75, and Sarah, and Sarah comes up with this other idea, and, and both of them are seriously doubting the promise of God. We've got to make this happen ourselves. And so the whole Hagar situation is worked out, but it was never God's plan. And so he patiently engages Abraham here, and this time uh, he's going to use his name, El Shaddai, to get the point across. It's almost like saying, uh, let's go over this one more time, Abraham, one more time. You jump down to verse 15, chapter 17. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, that name means princess, and you'll see why in just a second. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. She's a princess. Then Abraham fell on his face and he laughed and he said to himself, Shall a child be born to me who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? There is doubt, brothers and sisters, there is doubt saturating every word of that sentence. Really, God? A child? Sarah's ninety, I'm a hundred. Really? Verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's not going to let go, right? God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But... I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And as we well know, El Shaddai proved himself to be the God who could do the impossible. Because he is God Almighty, Isaac will be born to Sarah and Abraham right on schedule. El Shaddai, it is the name of my God who is bigger than my doubts. Isn't that great? To have a God who is bigger than all of your doubts. 
Whenever you and I sense that doubt is creeping into our soul or into our mind, that's when we pull out this name, El Shaddai. Our God will always prove himself to be sufficient, almighty, if we will, lit, if we will trust him. And that was the rub for Abraham. For Sarah, they couldn't trust him. He'll stretch out his strong arm and he'll bring life to what we think is dead and hope to that which we have given hope up, given up hope on. That's who he is, El Shaddai. He can do imaginably more, unimaginably more than we could think. It's a great passage out of Ephesians. It's worth passing on to you here. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. How does it read? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Is that El Shaddai? Yeah, that is El Shaddai, according to his power, right? God Almighty, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever, throughout all generations. El Shaddai, my God who is bigger than my doubts. It's a great one to have in your pocket. And then, if, and then it is while we're still with Abraham that we get yet another name of God that is worth holding on to. And this time it's at the very end of chapter 21. So flip a, more, a couple more pages to the right. And this is the name El Olam, the everlasting God. Are we going to make it, Brandon? Are we going to make it? I hope so. <laughs> now Abraham, by this time in his life has seen El Shaddai fulfill his promise. Isaac has been born and he's he's probably around 15 years old at this point. So so God has proven himself true. And this is when the name El Olam shows up. Life is really good for Abraham in this moment. Satisfying, it's fulfilling to both him and Sarah. He enjoys a remarkable relationship with God no less than three times in scripture. Uh, we're told that Abraham was God's friend and and, and God was Abraham's friend. It's an amazing statement. They share a deeply intimate personal relationship like two friends who are together. And here Abraham in this moment unveils this name for God. At the end of chapter 21 in a place called Beersheba, he settles down and life is just really good. He could be wearing one of those T-shirts that has life is good on it, right? Because it really is for him. And so in verse 33, here's what, he, what we read. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. That's the name, El Olam. First time that we hear that name, El Olam, the everlasting God. Olam in Hebrew means eternal, timeless, without end, everlasting. But, but you want to know that included with this thought, with this, this Hebrew name, is, is the idea of a God who is unchanging. He's unchangeable. When Abraham relates to God here, he's reflecting not only the fact that his God is, is from eternity past to eternity future, but that he is, he is unchanging, which means he's stable, he's reliable, he's the God who endures forever, and you can always count on him. El Olam. And he realizes that he lives in a world where things change all the time. But his God, who is his friend, never will change. And so it's a moment of sweet worship between God and, and, and Abraham. And, 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 and he uses this, 
Jesus' name. My God who is everlasting and he never changes. And he's my friend. He marks this moment in his life by planting a tree. Perhaps it's a symbol for him. We're not sure. Perhaps it's the best way that he could in that moment uh, put something physical down. A, A tree he plants to reflect his understanding of an enduring, stable, unchanging God. A place where he and God can meet together under the shade of this tree over time. And, and this is where Elolam and he will enjoy sweet fellowship. My God who is my eternal unchanging friend. It's a great name. For you and me, to know that God never changes is to have a rock solid security in a world that is always changing. Agreed? Elolam. That's our God. Brothers and sisters, that's our God. The God who never changes. He's everlastingly the same. And we know him as our friend. Just like Abraham knew God as his friend. You know, Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, long ago penned these words. And all things as they change proclaim the Lord eternally the same. Good? Yeah. There's one relationship we can always count on, and it is our relationship with El Olam. Everlasting, unchanging. New Testament writer James certainly was declaring that truth when he writes these words. James chapter 1, verse 17. You know these words. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every blessing that you and I have in our life comes from? From our God, doesn't it? Doesn't it? coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We just assume this so much. But what a precious possession we have. The wonderful truth for you and me is that we can, through a personal relationship with Jesus, have this same friendship with El Olam that Abraham had. That's not some territory that's exclusive to him sacred ground that only a guy like Abraham can step into. You and I can have that same relationship. Jesus says it this way on the night before he's crucified, John chapter 15, verse 15. Listen to what Jesus says. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you, what? Friends. Friends. My, this is God talking. Friends, for all that I have heard from my Father in heaven, my Father, I have made known to you. What a privileged position we are in today, brothers and sisters. Are you the friend of God today? Are you? Through Jesus? You are. Jesus says it right here. What El Olam says, Jesus says. Everlasting, unchanging, I am your friend. That's a great name. El Olam. And then finally, rounding out this collection of five names is a wonderful name to end our time with and really to end our series on. What is the name? Yahweh Shammah. My Lord who is there who is present. That's what this name means in Hebrew. The Lord is present. The Lord is there. 
Now, this name appears only one time in this form in our entire Bible. And it shows up in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 48, if you wish to turn there. Now, my saying that, that it only appears once in all of, of Scripture in this way, might lead us to think that, that this is not a really big name to God, especially when we remember that his name, Yahweh, shows up 6,500 times. We might think, well, that's really important and, and, and maybe not such a big deal, Yahweh Shema, but... I would instantly want to tell you that this really is a big name to God because even as I say that it only appears once this way, the truth that it declares is found on virtually every page of Scripture. The Lord who is there. God is there, is he not, in the the, the personal lives of three young men in a fiery furnace in Daniel 3 as El Elyon? Is he not there in Hagar's story and the name El Roy? Is he not there with Abraham who is overrun by doubts as El Shaddai? Is he not there as a friend unchanging and true in the name El Olam? He's so there in those ancient stories. But he's just as much there in our story, right? Right now, here. Yahweh Shema. But what I would want to declare to you is that he is going to be there in our future with him as well. And that's really where this name ultimately takes us is is into our future through faith in Jesus Christ. Church family, when by God's grace and through faith we have put our trust in Jesus alone, believing that his death, his burial, his resurrection was for us, God is not only our eternal unchanging friend in the present, he is our home forever in the future when our journey on this little dust speck is done. He's our home. He's our future. And that's where this name goes. So let me just take you to the place and set the context very quickly. Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. It's where we find the name. And uh, it couldn't be a more dark or desperate time in the story of the nation of Israel The nation of Israel has become so spiritually bankrupt that God allows a foreign nation, the Babylonians, to invade their land and carry the people away into captivity. He had warned them through prior prophets over a period of 200 years that in loving discipline, he would bring the nation to this place if they did not collectively turn their heart back to him. They were following false gods and and, and chasing materialism and totally self-absorbed. And God says, I'm your God. And he says, this is going to happen if you don't turn back your hearts to me. Well, Israel refused to listen to all of those prophets. So when the Babylonians came, they destroyed absolutely everything in Israel. They descended like locusts and and they 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 destroyed Jerusalem. And they destroyed the great temple that symbolized the presence of God with the people. Totally destroyed it. Now the temple's torn down. There's not one stone standing on another stone. And everything's been burned with fire. And it graphically depicts the spiritual landscape of the people and the nation. But God had called Ezekiel to be his voice to his people in this captivity. God was disciplining them, but he was certainly not going to abandon them. He couldn't do that. It wasn't in his heart to do that. And so he gives them Ezekiel 
And it will be Ezekiel's purpose and his message to inject hope into this devastated nation's life in captivity. And part of the hope will include a word about Jerusalem and its future. They would one day be back in this place and there would be a city and there would be a temple. The Lord would bring his people back and he would be there with them as Yahweh Shema. And so the last chapter of the book, the last verse of the last chapter of Ezekiel, we read this declaration. And the name of the city from that time on shall be Yahweh Shema. Now, you say, well, that's the name of the city. It's not the name of God. Huh? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the idea here is that this, this really has become a name that we have, 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 have embraced as one of God's great names. And you'll see why here in just a second. Yahweh Shema. Whatever else we might say about this passage, it is essentially a prophecy about the promise of God's abiding presence with his people in a time yet future. And so in their darkest hour, they're reminded the Lord is there. Now we know because we have the full story because we possess the New Testament scriptures and we're followers of Jesus and we have all of that. We know that this prophecy in Ezekiel is going to have its ultimate fulfillment in a time yet future to us at the end of this age. When all of God's plans and purposes have been realized and he he, he makes all things new. The scene is breathtaking in its beauty and it's described by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. You may want to run there all the way to chapter 21. Very end of your Bible, verses 1 to 3. Here's what we read. We'll put it up on the screen for you as well. John says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with who? With us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will be there in this place called the New Jerusalem, of which Ezekiel's prophecy was a foreshadowing, a foretelling. The Lord is there, present with his people, the redeemed of all the ages, every man, woman, young person, made alive through faith in Jesus Christ. God is with them there. And then to see the ultimate fulfillment of Yahweh Shema, drop down to the end of the chapter, verses 22-23. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Lord Almighty, right? El Shaddai and the Lamb Jesus and the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, through Jesus, our future is with Yahweh Shema, our God who will be with us forever. The story is told of a Philadelphia law firm that sent flowers to an associate law firm in Baltimore after hearing that they had opened a, a brand new office in that city. 
However, through some mix-up at the florist, a ribbon draped across the floral arrangement read, Deepest Sympathy. (laughs) When the florist who uh, was informed about this mistake, the poor lady cried out and said, Then the flowers that went to the funeral home said, Congratulations on your new location. Can you imagine? <laughs> Quite a mistake. But, but, but here's the thing, brothers and sisters, for every one of us who know Jesus by, by, by God's grace and through saving faith, this, this ribbon, this is the ribbon that should be on the wreath when we pass from this life into eternity with Yahweh Shema. Congratulations on your new location. You are with Him there forever. Hmm. Yahweh Shema. El Elyon, El Roy, El Shaddai, El Olam, El Shema. He is there. And we will be with him. A future that has no end. And every chapter that will be written will be better than the chapter that was just written. Let's pray together. Well, your faithfulness to us, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit has been incredible as we have journeyed with you through your names. And and we know we've just scratched the surface. There are dozens left that we could explore. We're so glad that that is true. That is who you are. The God of of so many revealing names, but we surely do thank you for these 16 that you have uh, blessed us with and allowed us time to explore. And my prayer for all of us, Heavenly Father, I ask you to make this real for us. I would pray that you would not let us forget these names, that they would not quickly fade and and fall off the desk for us, but that that they would really make their way down into our heart and and, and then we would draw upon them for all those places where life is going to take us because you have a name for every place that we will go. You're awesome. We love you. We love you through Jesus, but only because you loved us first. We say thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.